Zane Lowe, Apple Music. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to my pod spot. This is where the interviews go on the interview series. And we catch Sean Mendez at a super interesting point in his very young life. He's somebody who you just wouldn't expect to be as young as he is. He's always carried himself with a certain level of maturity in the way that he's handled his business, created his music, and certainly on his last album, really felt like he had stepped forward as an artist into new areas of growth, working with the incredible Teddy Geiger, and together they made a, what I thought was just a brilliant body of work. So what's happened between now and then? Well, a well-documented relationship has begun to grow between himself and fellow artist Camille Cabello. He's also, like the rest of us, to varying degrees, had to accept life inside his own stillness because even with all the change and disruption and chaos that's been going on at times outside, there's been a lot of time to spend inside in your own thoughts. So what does Shawn Mendes do? gets in touch with himself in a pretty deep way. We find Sean in a really, really thoughtful place. He's on a real journey of personal self-discovery, self-awareness, what he wants to do with his life. At a very young age, he had the kind of success that gets written about, attention, views, streams, fans, money. But what is success when you look forward to yourself at an old age, looking back upon your life? These are the kind of things we address. It's not the usual conversation that we kind of have with the young superstars of today, but he's not your usual artist. Sean Mendes is the subject of today's interview in the interview series, and it's going to surprise real fans, and it may even turn some of you who aren't yet into ones. This is Sean Mendes. Hope you enjoy it. Everything that I need to know about you is in your music. And I think that one of the things that is kind of often overlooked because of the quality of the pop songs, the melodies, who you are as a performer and also your charisma is just how transparent and ambitious you are with your words. And this album is a huge leap forward, man. Like a gigantic, like if your last album was a big step, this is a leap. Would you agree? I, I do agree. <laughs> it's always nice to hear your words yeah. about the album because I know you really are listening from like a... Just like I think, I think it's it's always interesting to hear reviews of people who don't know me, but then also people who do know me, because right. y- I think that you've also seen me kind of grow up as a from a boy, yeah, to a young man, yeah, and now and now a young, a young man, an older younger man, <laughs> a slightly older young, a slightly man. older young man. <laughs> Yeah, but I didn't really know you when you were a boy and when you were doing all that and dabbling around in, in, in the free space and kind of finding your voice and finding your audience at the same time. I didn't, I didn't yeah, know you. I didn't you. really know me either. You know, I think, I think that I still am trying to know me. And, yeah. and that's like the beauty of... Sometimes I, I think like, am I going to look back uh, at the music and how am I going to feel about it in 20 years, right? Yeah. And then I'm, I'm thinking, oh, this is great. This is like a, an audio scrapbook that I have. It, yeah. It's going to really show the things that I thought about and the things that were on my mind and, and kind of how fearless I was at that time and how that's scared right. I was at the time. You can only look at it as a timestamp. Yeah. Otherwise, you will never put anything out. And not just you, yeah. any artist. If they sit there and worry about how it's going to feel at the end, yes. why would you do it in the time Yes. and in the moment? Yeah. Right? And isn't this just about capturing moments? Isn't that what this is all about? Memories? Completely. You know, I, I got off tour and I came to LA and I had, I think I had like two or three weeks um, in a studio. Malibu. Malibu, yeah. Where you were last time. Close. I think I was like, Going up there, being like, okay, coming off the back of of Senorita, and if I can't have you, and and you know, a, a really crazy tour, and I, and I got up there, and I was like riddled in anxiety and stress and fear, and yeah. like I couldn't sing, I couldn't think. I was like, what? Yeah. Am, I was like, what am I? What do I want to say? I thought I had all these great things to say. I thought I had this beautiful idea. And you'd also said to me when we were in Malibu the first time. I remember you were like, man, you know. I, 
I didn't want to leave. Like, mm. I didn't want this process, this album to end. So I guess subconsciously, maybe you're thinking, let me go back to the place that I yearned for yeah. before this all became an international mm. tour type Or whatever, the place that I was able to do what I did yeah. before. Yeah. How did you, and how did that feel? That I mean, having that sense of anxiety, look, it was, it was a successful time for you. And by this point as well, trying to put the timeline together, your life on paper looks great. It looks like, great. Album is successful, tour successful, personal life successful, yeah. everything's great. And yet you go back to Malibu and what are you feeling? Just closed, like so closed. And then I was like to my team and, and to everyone, I was like, guys, I gotta take a month off. So I took a month off and I ended up, Camila was out in England, she was filming a movie. So I was out in England. She had this house in the countryside mm. and she would like wake up at like 7 a.m. and go to set and come back around five. And I was basically like in the countryside of England <laughs> on my own. And it was like, at first I was like kind of losing my mind. And then a few days in, I started settling in, really just like going for these walks, like yeah. taking time to like yeah. just settle and reflect. And um, there was this amazing driver that I had at the time. He said, you, you, should, you should listen to this masterclass by this author named Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote uh, Eat, Pray, Love is one of her books. So I started listening to this masterclass. And first of all, Elizabeth <sighs> Gilbert, after learning more about her, is just like yeah. this incredible, incredible woman. And I'm going to botch this and get it all wrong. It doesn't matter. But it's up to us to investigate it. Yeah. At some point in the masterclass, she leads you on to go and listen to this TED Talk. So I'm listening and she goes, back in ancient Greece, if there was a painter or if there was like uh, any type of creative person and they would produce beautiful art, the people of the town would say that there was a genius living in the walls of the painter. And you know, if it was amazing, they couldn't take all the credit because there was a genius living in the walls. And if it wasn't amazing, you also couldn't take all the credit because it wasn't all you. And she goes on to talk about how your only job is to just like show up and to open up to the fact that like anything can come and nothing can come too. And if nothing comes, like don't be upset about it because this is the creative process. This is not mechanical. This is not meant to be perfect, you know? And I think that for me, I was really trying to beat everything I've done. So I go through this whole kind of thing of trying to let myself go and be more free. And I show up to a studio in upstate New York. Now, this is where I wrote my second album. Yeah, you went back. To, you went back. Yeah, I went back. You went back. And I walked into the studio. I sat down. I, I, I did a little meditation. And I said to myself, I'm here. And I was like, I hope to God there's a creative genius in these walls because yeah. I'm here and I, I got nothing. And... It just happened. It started flowing and it was like... What did? What was the first thing that happened? I always felt like I had to walk into a studio and command the room and be like, this is what we're going to do. And I kind of just walked into the studio and I looked at the writers and the people who I love and trust and I just kind of hung out. Yeah. And just sat there and kind of tried my best to let it come. And it did. And I feel really lucky for that because I think the point of the creative genius thing is that sometimes it doesn't come, but don't get down on yourself when it doesn't, you know? It takes some artists a long time to figure that out. Yeah. Once you create a framework around music that involves money, expectation, yeah. routine, mm. these are all man-made, human-made constructs. Yeah. Art is really not. It's Art is not. divine inspiration. Totally. So when you try to fit that into the constructs, you try to put what is inherently something that is somewhere between the conscious and the subconscious in a sweet space to be able to reveal something about yourself and what you're going through that you can't put into a normal conversation, yeah. which again is a construct. Right. Let it flow. Then you put it into this framework. It's like people get swept up in that expectation. You touch on it a bit later in the album, we'll get to it. The idea of what it is to be you outside of what makes you you 
Mm. which is that inspiration, mm. that waiting for something. Mm -hmm. How much of this album on a basic kind of balance was subconscious and how much of it felt conscious in terms of the writing? I'd love to say 70% was subconscious, yeah, yeah. but I don't, I don't know if that's completely true because I was probably going from an 80% in my head, you know, um, place and 20% letting it flow before this album. And yeah, I guess I had all these ideas of what I wanted to sound like and what I wanted it to be like. And it's like funny, because if you set yourself up for what you want it to be like and what you want it to sound like and to mean, the second someone plays a note that doesn't sound like that, you think you failed. It's thrown into chaos. It's thrown into chaos. So if you start off like, look, whatever, this is this is going to be whatever it's going to yeah, be. Yeah, let's discover it. And then it starts coming and it starts flowing. And also like, this is like pushing into a, a bigger conversation. But I think for a long time that I was spending so much of my time just trying to get to the end of the process, which was like, how, how do I finish the album? How do I have the big song? That would suggest that you were searching for a result and the endorphin rush of getting a great result rather yeah. than the enjoyment of the process. Exactly. I think so. I think that also, from a young age, I was like really shown what it feels like to have that gold and that success and that yeah, glory. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. it's addictive. It's addictive. And you miss out on the most beautiful part, which is the process. Process. Right. When you start to lean into that process, the end result comes around and it's in this beautiful bow and it looks gorgeous and you're really happy with it. And you're expecting this like big thing to happen and it doesn't happen, but you're okay. Yeah. If you go in with an idea before you even start of how it's gonna look at the end, what have you really learned in the process? Nothing, because you'd learned it all before you started and you wanted to present it. And such yeah, and you such. were just, yeah. What do you think were the, were the new elements of your life that got you to a place where you weren't so result obsessed, where you weren't trying to be the Sean people expected you to be, that you were able to start to meditate at its most basic functional form and use that tool in order to embrace the unknown. It's just that that's a self-destructive way of being is, is in constant pursuit of the, the end result. Even when you do get that end result, the reward is fleeting. Yeah. A lot happens when you fall in love for the first time. Yeah. Because you have, you, you really feel this like support, this mm -hmm. like grounded, hey, if everything goes away, I'm going to be okay. Yeah, we it's got called perspective, it's right? It's perspective and it's beautiful and it really allows you to be like, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I might as well be doing it for the right reasons and really, really, really enjoying it. Otherwise, I'd just rather watch movies with you all day, <laughs> you know? And, and to be able to share that with someone who's going to benefit the same way. Yeah, Because exactly. you can get that perspective from someone who does something else altogether different in life, but in some ways it'll feel like a gift more for you than it is for them. Totally. Whereas when you're in a situation where someone like Camila, who is as well at a similar stage in her life, success, all the similar kind of addictive potential of needing to work, 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 stay, 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 and, and, and attention, 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 for you to both be able to take a step back simultaneously and say, what does that all mean really when this is really what matters? Exactly. And you know, the pandemic that's happening yeah. um, and the isolation and the quarantine has been terrifying and, and really hard, but something really beautiful for me came out of it, which was you're not allowed to leave. Stillness. Stillness. I went to Miami and I was living with Camila and her parents and her sister. And yeah. I was in panic for the first week being like, there's no way I'm going to make an album. And then when I started to settle into like how nice it is to like be in the same place every night, to like have a movie time, <laughs> to like cook dinner with a yeah. family and to do laundry. I know it all sounds really kind of silly, but when you've been touring the world since you were 15 years old, yeah. like I don't remember the last time I smelled laundry. Yeah. It's a nice smell. It's a nice it's smell. It's a really calming smell. Yeah, it's, it feels it's, like growing up. feels like growing up. That stillness brought a lot of anxiety to the surface that I had to work through. And 
on the other side of that was like a real reflective period for me where I could be like, oh, this is what I've been doing. This is crazy. Like, this is what I can do. This is art. This is bigger than me. It was the first time I had a chance to even think about someone more than me. Like, it was, it was the first time I had enough space in my heart, in my head, that wasn't so consumed about how many people were caring about what I was doing or how many, whatever, likes, streams, whatever you want to call it. It was the first time I was quiet and I was able to be like, what is happening in this world? And how do I feel about it? And what can I do? And, and, and where does this go from here? And that was the best gift I think I've ever, ever been given in my whole life. And that's like what's really spawned songs like Wonder and, and the whole album to an extent, but especially songs like Wonder, you know, was completely spawned from that reflective moment. And something that's a really big thing that I've been thinking about is everyone's got to give themselves a little bit of credit because there's so much input happening at all times, news, there's so much input happening. And it's, it's really hard to settle down and to just be like, well, how do I f actually feel about this? Like my truth, what is my truth about this? And it takes work and it takes time and it's tough, you know? And I think that when I find it, found this moment of stillness and clarity, I was like, oh, this is like, this is really what it means to be close There's to yourself. truth in that. Yeah. How was it the first time you meditated? Were you resisting? Were you just, your mind was like, no. Well, I've been meditating kind of off and on for like four years now until six, seven months ago yeah. when I started really meditating, yeah. which was then became a daily, twice a day thing, but then became a way of being, you mm. know? And just this conscious way of seeing your life and, and also understanding your, your own kind of self-destructive tendencies. So I asked Alicia Keys a question the other day and the, the, the answer was so interesting to me that I asked Bruce Springsteen the same question and his answer was completely different, but so interesting to me. And so I'm gonna ask you this question and cool. it may be something I retire after this, but at the moment I'm really enjoying it. And so I'm gonna ask this, which is that in my experience of interviewing artists for many, many years, and so, I love to speak the language. And one thing I've noticed is that the artistic ambition ultimately is driven from some kind of hole, some fracture, something that needs to be fulfilled, mm -hmm. that can't be fulfilled by anything else but a desire to express oneself and to find meaning mm -hmm. through art. But it comes from a place that is empty. And now that you're in a place where you're starting to fill that hole with other things, mm -hmm. without attention and fame and mm -hmm. success and ambition, mm -hmm. are you any closer to identifying what started this journey for you in the first place and why you are an artist and what prompted you to want to pursue this with your life and what created the whole? It's funny, it's like when you're an artist and especially at a young age, you, you kind of get filled up with so much love. Everywhere you look, someone's saying they, they love you and they care about you. And it's probably like 150 times the love any normal person gets because it's constant and it's from people who you don't know all over the world. And it's interesting because you can kind of get to a place where that can overwhelm and be like, this is too much. Or you can like try to internalize that love and send it back out. And I think that I love, I mean, I love music down to the simple form of it, it just is, it's awesome and it makes me feel good. And, and I've always loved it. But for me at 22, it's definitely becoming about much more than music. You know, I think it's, I think it's about, becoming and and just being a beacon of love and and sending it back out because I've been given it for so many years you know but it's just rare for someone at 22 to already realize that that's not the answer most people don't get to that point until closer to middle age when right. they realize 
I need to make a transformation here lifestyle-wise because this is just too much noise for me to see clarity within. You're at a point now at 22 where you've made this ambitious record, which starts with an intro. Yeah. Who does intros now? Yeah. And the intro is just literally, if I can paint a picture, and I sure as heck hope this is how you start your live show, of a piano and a single spotlight, yeah. like it's 1978, yeah. and you're just sitting there playing yeah. this thing. I mean, it's it's almost a really sad start to totally. a really wide-open experience. I think so. I think it's a very reflective start. I think that, like, for me, mainly the most important part of that song was the lyric, which was, you you have a, a million different faces, but they'll never understand unless you let them in. And that's you. And that's me. You've been a million different places, so mm. give yourself a chance to get lost in Wonderland. And the Wonderland is where the genius lives. This This reflective time gave me a real moment of, like, breathing and thinking, like, okay, you know, if I'm going to do this, I want to do this, like, as truth and as honest as I can. And writing that song and letting it be the introduction to the album was basically me saying to myself, all right, man, you're cool to just be you. Just be you, you know? And as I wrote it, like, I remember writing it and sitting there and it giving me chills up my body. It was like a deep knowing in my heart was telling my mind, you're going to be cool. This like, is, this is the this one. This is it. This, or just say these words, listen to your own words and move forward from it. And I really hope that people listening to that song feel that way but it's the doorway to the whole album which is like a very me thing and it's like funny when we say that what is the most you thing because that is quite me but there's definitely a lot of i i want i, I did that because i know people like that and i did that because i want people to like that i always said that because i know that will resonate and if that's a lot of everyone else yeah it's and true. this time around, I tried to remove the everyone else thing. There's a line in there, and I'm gonna, and now I'm going to botch this up. Same. I'll botch my own lyrics all day. Everybody is looking at us, but I can't help falling in sure. love. Sure. Yeah? Yeah. Dude, I love that line. I'll tell you why. Because um, you can't. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. And what are you supposed to do? Not live your life? Sure. Walking the line between being honest and open about your relationship, which is a tried and tested form of songwriting. It's pure and deep. Yeah. You can't avoid it no. if you're an artist. No. Love is right there next to sadness. Totally. And heartbreak and yeah. anger. So you got to go there. But one of the things I've always really admired about you and Camila is that you just don't let anything else that surrounds it get in the way of it. Mm. This is super important to me. And, and this is not completely online with what you just said, but related. And you cannot be the best version of a son or a brother or a boyfriend or a friend to anybody if you're not constantly there for you and you're watching out for you and you're checking in on your heart and your space and your energy. And the closer you get to that clarity and that freedom within you, the, the more space you have for everybody else in your life. And I think that that was something that really happened over that period too, especially with Camelia and I, is that we started giving ourselves a lot more time, which then allowed us to give everything more time and space, hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, you know? totally. It's naturally easy to become obsessive, especially in relationships. That's kind of what they're designed to do. Wow, if I'm going to share my time with somebody, then I'm, there's an obsessive period within that space. And often, if you don't know when it's time to actually get into some a normal space, a space where you can be yourself and they can be themselves, you smother each other and it can totally. go away. That's how yeah. things break. Totally. Who are the female voices that keep cropping up on the album? In the background vocal, I think I think Camila might be in there a couple times. I I probably stole her and pulled her into the studio to yeah. sing a couple of things. Yeah, I did a lot of stuff where I was altering my own voice. I wondered. Yeah, that's kind of why I asked. Yeah, I mean, it's, I sort it, of figured Camila would be in there anyway because 
I mean, why wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> it's Camila. Yeah. It's like you get her to sing because totally. she's amazing. But equally, it's like I wonder whether or not you were sort of applying that your voice in that way as well. And that's totally. one of the things I really love about the way that you approach your music is that you experiment in ways people don't really know. And this is a super experimental record in many respects, I think. Not to compare because we're trying to get away from that. But before that, in comparative to your peer group, it's like no one's coming in with drums and arrangements in the way that you are. You know, song for no one. Interesting. Really interesting arrangement. Really interesting. Did that come into your head before you communicated it or did it happen in process? Did you magic that up? That came from giving up because after three days of not having anything. So we just gave up and wrote that. And that ended up being like one of, that became the pillar. That was the desperation? That was, that was just like, whatever, let's write this. We got and, nothing. And it, that was everything. It was the whole uh, pillar for the sonic soundscape of the album. That was three years ago I wrote that. Wow. Yeah. I wake up a little drunk, getting texts from people I don't really care about, basically. Yeah, I was pretty, pretty sad trying to get Camila. You were bummed out. Uh -huh. uh, yeah. So that makes me think about last year and how these songs brought you together. Two songs changed your life. One was a duet with her and one was your own, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that was a smash hit last year that you wrote on your own terms. And really what you were doing was you were manifesting your future. Yeah, I guess so. Unknowingly. I really? No, nah, I knew. <laughs> it's interesting because I, I like was on tour and I went home and I saw my sister who's 17 and she's cool now. She's like cooler than me now. She drives, she has a boyfriend, she, she knows what's up. And so... I'm like, what are you listening to? And she starts playing the Beach Boys and Frankie Valli and the Beatles. And she plays, I Can't Take My Eyes Off Of You. Mm. And I was listening and I just got this chills down my body. I was like, this is it. You know, this big, massive feeling, these drum fills, the, the 60s Everything you need to know about this song in one line. In one line. I really stuck with that. And I owe Camila a lot because she kept pushing me. She's like, you have, I explained her my whole idea. She's like, you have this vision. I'm not going to let this vision die because it's so beautiful and it's so you. Mm. And constantly throughout the album, when I was getting discouraged, she would like just remind me of our first conversation. And why you, discouraged? Like what's discouraging you at those moments? I think discouraged that it's like just wrong and wrong because of fear of, of Expectation, judgment. Expectation. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Alicia Keys, I know you just did a talk with yeah. her and she's always been... Someone who I've admired and oh, loved. Her I mean, energy is off the charts. Probably the last six months I've gotten closer with her. You yeah. know, we've just been in communication because I, I just feel like I need to surround myself with her energy. And I've just watched her be an artist in the most pure form and pure way. And, I, and she posted on Instagram a little clip where she said she uh, all of a sudden woke up at the top one day. And she's like, I didn't get, how did I get here? Yeah. Well, what I was trying to frame was that there, you start as an artist and your talent is the thing that comes first. Your talent attracts all this interest, with, even with the best of intentions. Mm. Interest becomes investment, and investment means that talent slowly starts to go down the ladder. Sure. You get pulled up this ladder, and she was saying, I, I sort of woke up one day, and I, I realized that this isn't me. This isn't the kid who was strong and was like, I'll write the songs my way, I'll wear what yeah. I want to wear, I'll wear my hair the way I want right. to wear it. All of right. a sudden, I've become this construct of other people's expectations. Mm. And success is the cage that that holds you. You just want to play songs and sing for people and, and make people happy and make yourself yeah. feel good, you know? Yeah. I mean, you touch on this. There's a song called Monster. I wrote that also three years ago too. That was separate from this process. And that and Song for No One were around the same time. That was a rough time for you. Yeah, it was a tough time for me. I think I was coming off the back of a couple big songs and definitely just so driven by my ego and <laughs> just feeling like, something in this feels not right, you know? And it's always resonated with me. 
it, the, the song has always resonated with me and it just never kind of found its way out. And all of a sudden I was listening to it one day and I just started my relationship with Justin, just started kind of forming properly in the last three months. Mm. And I called him and I was like, look, I have this song. It means it's really, it's kind of going there, you know? We, we go there, it's about how society can put celebrities up on a pedestal and to wa and watch them fall and it's mm -hmm. and it seems to be this entertainment thing and mm -hmm. and it's hard you know and his heart fell deep into it and him and I even yesterday we were on the phone for an hour and had a, the the deepest conversation I think about so much and it just felt really nice because it was a full circle moment for me this guy who was the reason I started singing yeah. I was 9 when one time came out and I just, and I completely was all in. He was Elvis. He, he was Elvis to me. And it was like to come back around and to have this very human to human conversation with him and his truth to come into that song and my truth to be there. It feels like one of the most special songs I've ever wrote. And the more I listen to it and the deeper I get into it, this is not just about celebrities. No, no, this no. is not it's just human about experience. This is the human experience. What's great about Monster is that it really does have, a, you know, it, it is steeped in the in the desire to be treated like a human being. Look, I think that from a young age, we're watching superhero movies and we're watching like stuff about Michael Jordan and to be the best athlete. And nobody told you that if you're not, you're still cool. If you don't become Michael, if you don't become Bieber, if you don't become any of these people, you're enough. You, you've done it. You've, you've done the thing. And he realized that. That was what was crazy about that documentary was he was like, I can't be like Mike. At yeah. least the Mike no. in the ad campaign. If everyone was able to kind of put their minds in those people they're striving to be like, yeah. they would maybe discover that for those people, they're never going to meet the standards of that name. If I didn't catch it and like, Understand that 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 was gonna this was gonna spiral out of control. Yeah. I never was gonna be enough to, for Shawn Mendes. Well, this is really interesting because I was again talking to someone the other day about two lives lived, right? And and you, you know you live so much of your life on TV and on camera and everything else. That's the life that we live through. You live through us, and yeah. we live through you. But then there's this other life that's yours. Yeah, it's like two lives, right? And yeah. and and further to that, it's like your name is not your name mm. anymore. No, it's a thing. When you show up and you know, weird. I have to go to a hotel and change my name. Mm. What my name is not concept. good enough for me to be my name anymore because right. it means something else to everybody else than it meant to my parents when they called me that. Yeah. It's f***ed up. Yeah. There's no one to put at fault for it. It's just it's the flow of, of how things have moved. The thing, the thing is, is that... But it has real percussions, Sean. It has real percussions. It has real repercussions be because, there. you know, we lose great people because they can't get past what they become. Exactly. And great people. And that's why I think it's important for people like you and I and people like Justin and anyone who is sitting in the top or whatever that means of their craft or, or their art or as an athlete to like... Or just in it. Or in, yeah, or in it. To, to really kind of sit down and be like, look, I'm here. Like, look, I'll tell you right now, I'm here. I've, yeah. I've had a lot of really big songs. I've, I've toured the world and I've, 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 my dreams have come true over and over again. And the truth is, is that I was never going to ever fulfill that. That was going to be a black hole forever. There's not enough number one songs that will make you happy. There's not enough stadiums you play to make you happy. The truth of being happy is right there. Just, just you're enough, be enough, you know? One of the things that shows up on this record, and I really appreciate it because it doesn't get talked about enough from the point of view of leaving home is friendship. And, mm. you know, we don't really discuss the impact that success, or let's even just remove the word success and talk about just separate parts, right? Yeah. Knowing what you want to do at an early stage in life, earlier than probably many of the people that you know, all of a sudden you're on this area, people are rightfully finding their feet. 
and there the divide begins. Mm -hmm. When did it dawn on you that you had work to do in your relationships? The second it started, because you, you, you spend every day with your friends and then you're all of a sudden touring for two months, you know? It does take a lot of effort and I took for granted for sure that friendship that I had. I think it's different now because of COVID and, and quarantine stuff between Canada and America. So I haven't seen my, my best friend in like six months and I was on the phone with him yesterday for like three hours and it was interesting because it was like, he didn't have a girlfriend before I saw him and now he's got a girlfriend and he's super happy and he's in love. And it was like, oh, like life really doesn't stop. It doesn't stop, you know? I don't want to keep coming back to the pandemic, but it shows you a lot. It shows you like, pay attention because it just like keeps going fast. And all of a sudden your friend has a girlfriend and all of a sudden your friend has a kid. And then all of a sudden it's like, it moves quick. So it's like, I just want to be there. I want to be around. I want to be around my, my sister as she like goes into her first year of university. Like yeah. that stuff, you, you can't get it back. You can't get back time. Well, here's the mad thing is that when you start out the race and you're a hundred meters in front of your family and your friends, but then one step at a time, as you said, relationships, family, the building blocks for what really makes a life to remember start to catch up to you. Sure. If you're not doing it, thinking about that too, eventually they surpass you. And then all of a sudden that there's this rich life that you've never lived mm -hmm. and steadily has become something you wish you had. I think it's important that like, no matter how old you are, you, you like try your best to constantly look around and be like, cool, like I got it right now. I like to do this thing where I close my eyes and I'm like 85 years old. I'm sitting on the front porch and I'm in a rocking chair and I'm like just going back and forth being like, what is it that I did? Who, like, what makes me happy? And I'd like to see the faces that come to mind and the moments and, the, and it's, it's, it's every time without fail, a visual of my mom or my best friend or Camila or my sister laughing. And it's like, you, you can't, the heart doesn't lie to you. You know, I really, I really think if everyone just took a, two seconds, closed their eyes and thought, okay, I'm 80 years old. What do I look back on my life and what was the stuff that made me really happy? You're going to see a lot of people you love's faces. Keep it in the mind. You don't have to quit on all your, your plans and your passion and your determination to, to do something because I think that that is amazing. And I know that and I love that and it's worth so much. But as you're doing that, don't lose sight of that stuff because it's, yeah. it's always going to be the most important. Would you rather have half a life fulfilling yeah. twice the ambitions or a long life fulfilling half the ambitions? Sure. Those are ambitions. What are they? What are they? Yeah. That's there the, it that's is. That's the bigger question. What are they? What are those ambitions? I mean, for me, like, you know, if, if I had ambitions to play stadiums and to have people hear music around the world. Tick and it's, tick. it's there and it's amazing. And the way it can affect people is something that's much bigger than me. And I'll always be, I'll always understand that. As long as I can keep making music that is truth, my truth, and at the same time cultivating beautiful relationships with family and friends and people around me, and like have enough time to, to have my own back and to kind of show myself some support and love, then, then, then that's it, that's, that's the ambition. Okay. It is different though, by the way, when you fall in love, just so, just to be clear. Yeah. You fall in love and there's this big shield that covers you. Yeah. And you've got this shield and you're walking around life like, I'm cool, I've got the love shield. Yeah. But and you have kids, you walk in the room with one in each, each yeah, of you, you've got one in the hand. Yeah, the hands. shield is even bigger. That's the gang. You're done. There's an element on this record of fear though. Yeah. Oh man, the last song is full of it. I can't imagine what a world would be without and you. I'd be alone. I'd be alone.
That's the last yeah. thing you say. Yeah. That vulnerability is, it's, you're never entirely safe. And that's the other thing you've got to recognize, right? And so in writing this album and writing such a beautiful, it's just soaked in love, this album. Work on your self-love as much as you're working on your love for everyone else. More. Because the more you're, you're cool with you and the more you love yourself, the, the better you're going to be for the people in your life. And I said that earlier. I really do mean that. I think like, this can be cheesy. It, it is what it is. And it's true. And it helps and it's changed my life. And I have a journal I write in every day. And at the end of my journal, I sign off with, love you, man, always got your back. Those few words at the end of a little bit of reflection remind me that like, oh, if, even in this interview with you, like if I say something stupid and you get uncomfortable and everyone gets uncomfortable and, and people inside are like, why'd you say that? I'm going to get back to the house tonight and be like, I did say I'd have my back. All right, it's okay. I have my back. That takes practice. And that's an everyday thing. And I think that it's so easy to be blindsided by the fact when someone is in love with you, when, when you're in a relationship that you're forever protected until that thing gets taken away from you. You know, like I said, I'd be alone and it would be the worst feeling in the whole world. And that's why it's so important for me to mention the amount of self-love practice that I have. Yeah, that's the layer beneath the layer. It's protection. the layer beneath the layer. It's, it's you. It allows you to love completely because ultimately at the end of the day, you'll be fine. The risk is worth it. The risk is worth it because you have your back. And like, yeah, if you want to love completely, you've got to always be looking out for you. We, we go to sleep at night and when we close our eyes, like if we're in bed with somebody, they're not in there with us. It's just, our, it's just us with those closed eyes. You will only ever have you at the end of the night. So might as well like enjoy that person and, like, and love that person because it's like, it's all you have. <laughs> you know, one of the things I really, I, I can imagine is that in the relationship you're in now with the person you're in because she's a communicator. Yeah. It blew my mind the first time I ever met her actually and how open and transparent she was. Yes, she can't not be. We literally met, the mics went up. I remember that interview. Yeah. Yeah. But I was just blown away by just how honest she was, upfront she was. And I can imagine the kind of conversations that the two of you have are really <laughs> impactful. Yeah, and they're also hard. Like, because, you know, there was probably a, a point in the first little section of our relationship where I've always considered myself a really vulnerable guy. I was the guy who wrote in my blood. Yeah, yeah. I'm the guy who talks about anxiety. Yeah. Like, I'm cool, I'm sensitive, I'm vulnerable. I always thought of myself that way until I had a girlfriend who I was so serious about. And then I realized how much I was scared of being the weak man. And it was so crazy. I mean, I went through a month where I couldn't really even communicate with her because I was struggling with anxiety and I didn't want her to see me weak. Yeah. And I was on the verge of, of ruining our relationship. Yeah. And then when you come out on the other end and you're like, listen, like, I'm struggling here. Like, it's hard for me, for me to even say this to you. And everything starts building and growing and getting stronger and the, and the roots fortify. Yeah. And you look around and you're like, oh, shit. Bravery. That's the, that's the secret. That's bravery. That's strength. Yes. That is honestly what I'm saying in wonder. In the second verse, I say, uh, I wonder uh, when I cry into my hands, I'm conditioned to feel like it makes me less of a man. I don't wonder. I know. I know why I feel that way. It's conditioning, hundreds of years of conditioning that men don't cry. And I'm sure so many men have ruined beautiful, beautiful things from the fact that they don't think that they're allowed to cry. Yeah. That's strength, man. That's real strength. And it's like the, all this stuff that like is just becoming more real. Yeah. It'll just continue to be more real and more obvious and more people will talk about it. And I, and I think that 
even from in my blood time when we first chatted about vulnerability to now, it's a different world. You're a different person altogether, bro. Yeah. We talked about anxiety. I could tell you were only willing to go so far. Mm. You were open, but you were also guarding yourself to a degree. Totally, yeah. I was, I was in a lot of anxiety. A lot of anxiety. Yeah. It's everywhere, man. It's hard to avoid. And I see it in people I don't even know walking down the street. Mm. I'm so acute to it now. It's heightened. It's a collective consciousness. Everyone's feeling that stress and fear. One of the things that you've chosen to do is actually create a foundation that creates awareness, not just drives support and money and resource and all the things that philanthropy needs to mm -hmm. function, but actual awareness, mm -hmm. like, how do I do this? It's education. Education. And that's one For of the things- For me too. Yeah, and that's one of the things I was really blown away by was that the foundation actually felt like it was your journey and everyone else's mm -hmm. and not just, I've learned, so go and learn. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's funny because it's like, the amount of pressure that is on everybody to know everything and to and to be able to know how to yeah. help is is crazy. Yes. It's ridiculous. It's first of all, it's terrifying. Why do we do it to ourselves? Why do, first of all, it's terrifying. Second of all, everyone wants to help and go on there and learn and give yourself a chance to sit with it and to figure out what your words are, you know? And for me, I've always been opinionated. I've all, you, you know me on a personal level too, that I've always had feelings about a lot of things. I, I've spent a lot of time being neutral on a lot of stuff because of fear of not knowing how to say it correctly or not knowing what to say. And something that I've learned over the last six months is that you do not have to be an expert to speak on matters of the heart. It's pretty simple. We have an internal moral compass. It's there. It knows what is right. It knows what is wrong. Feel into that and listen to that and educate yourself and be completely open to everything. And this whole process of having a foundation, the process of watching the Black Lives Matter movement happen and being in a march in Miami and something that was life-changing for me to hear was I remember, and there was this one woman and she, she spoke through the megaphone and she said, if you're white and you're here, don't just be here. You have to be louder than us. You have to be louder. And it resonated with me so deeply. And even just conversations in the moment was like, okay, I, I can, I'm okay. I can educate myself on this and I can do the best I can. And giving my platform away on Instagram to young black change makers, grassroots organizations in these places who will be able to speak on these topics so much better than I will be able to and have the conviction and have the truth in their eyes and the power in their eyes. When you provide people access is one way of helping, but you've got to draw the information toward you too. Yeah, and, and so that's what I let learned. it happen and learn it and at the learn. same time. Let yeah. yourself learn because yeah. that's how you're going to help. It's you like have to learn. You have to have understanding and you have to have knowledge before you can truly act. Otherwise, yeah. in, in, in acting, you're ultimately providing support. But it's not the same as understanding. No, we'll never, we'll never understand. No. You and I, no. as two white privileged men, we'll, we'll never understand no. what that is and what that feels like or what that pain is. We can learn though. We can learn. We do know it's wrong and we know that we want to help. And I know that I'm going to do whatever it takes to make a difference and to change it and to mm -hmm. stop it. If you're obsessive compulsive like me, and I know that you're having some experience with this now, you know, because I've spoken to Camila about it mm. as well. We've had honest conversations mm -hmm. about it. Your brain, man, is is, is the worst wired to go there all the time. You try to protect yourself and those that you love all the time from an unknown fear. Mm -hmm. Because if you can think it, it can happen. Although we spend 90% of the time fearing 
the biggest things that we fear in our head, you know, when it comes to it. It's just like, you know, when you really, when you really take that leap and you say something about a cause and you stand there. Oh, yeah. Y- you, you realize, oh, this is just being human. This is just standing for what's right. But you're right. That fear, especially for people like you who are wired to, to think, God, but. Anxiety is a natural disposition for many people, you know? And it's, it's strange. You've got to do a lot of work to cut through that. Mm-hmm. And, um, it makes me think about the idea of control. You know, as, I, as, as this conversation is reaching its natural conclusion, and I think about all the things that you've learned in the past, or your whole life, but really in a, a, a hyper acceleration in the last 12 months. And I think about the idea of control and... Control is really just anxiety. Right. We control something because we want to make sure... We're safe. ...that the bad doesn't happen. We're safe, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Freedom is letting go of control. Those are the two words that matter, right? Let yeah. go at the very end of it. Yeah. There are some real moments on this record which are real standouts and some great collaborators too. Mm-hmm. And it would be kind of churlish to not discuss some of the people who are involved in this record mm-hmm. because they obviously gave a lot. You know, new people, Anderson, getting to work with the great, instant vintage. There was a comment I saw in a video of his and it was like, if Anderson Pack got any better, he'd be just glowing. <laughs> like he'd be just yellow light beaming from out But the maddest thing was, it was learned, you know? I mean, Anderson was, yeah. was making music and, and toiling for a while, a if that can time. be the word to you use. You can feel that. You can feel it, right? Yeah. Like he appreciates the opportunities that he gets. Um, how did the idea of working with Anderson come about? I have been the biggest Anderson Pack fan for a while now. And always been in kind of contact with him and he's been so so nice and there was the song teach me how to love and yeah. i was like this this would be the greatest possible situation that he plays drums on this song yeah and he's just that guy he really is that guy he he doesn't think no my drums too good to play on your song he just goes yeah of course it'd be fun yeah. you know like and that is like a real real like love of the craft and it had nothing to do with him or me it was just like yeah, this would be fun. Yeah. One of the things you did do, which I really appreciated, was that you really leaned into Toronto in the most tasteful way, mm. Frank Dukes. Mm. Well, Frank and I have been having these very massive life conversations for a long time. He started Song for No One with me and Monster with me three years ago. And he's always been pushing me just to be honest and to say it how it is and to yeah. to let the truth come out. And and we had a conversation a couple of years ago. I just wasn't ready to like let go as much as I've let go of this album. Yeah. And as much as I'll continue to let go. But he's always kind of pushed me to do that. And he is kind of like the ignition for the whole album. And it didn't end up producing the whole thing, but a couple very key moments yeah. he was a part of. He was in the room the day uh, I was writing the intro. He sat there with me and, t- and talked the whole thing out with me. I really owe a lot of inspiration to that guy. He, he's really just like, he's on another level. He's he really is. Riding on another frequency. No, for sure. He, you know, he, but he understands the artistic spirit as well as the language, and there's a difference. You can tell people how you want something to be, and you, but then you can also read between the language that something deeper has to come out. And that's interesting because that's one relationship. And then I have another Scott. Harris, who mm-hmm. I wrote all my music with. And I am basically saying, look, dude, I don't know what's about to come, but will you will you stay with me? Yeah. He's like, whatever it yeah. is that your truth is, I'm there to write it with you. And yeah. between Nate and, and Kid Harpoon, who ended up being a last minute, like came in and just took the I mean, album what by about storm. Tom? What about Tom? It's unbelievable. Oh, what a beautiful human as what well. What a beautiful human with the sweetest children. Great family. Great family. Yeah, I, I had a, so much love around me. Yeah. And they, 
I'd brought these ideas in and some chords, and I was like, I'm thinking 60s, like, you know, I'm thinking like this chord here, the minor, major progressions, yeah. like, how do we feel? Nate Mercero, the guy playing all those drums, yeah. all those massive drums, the, yeah. the incredible guitar parts you're hearing, the tones, he is like a fictional character. I'm a little terrified to that, to think that maybe one day I'll text him and this, his name won't be in my phone. Because <laughs> you've done his time on and, Earth. And it's just done. And I'll be, where's Nate? And people will be like, who's Nate? <laughs> I love the, it. The guy who played all the guitar on the, and, yeah. and wrote all the songs with me and created the magic with me. I don't know. I don't know who you're talking about. I'm really expecting that to happen because that's how magical he is. I hope more people get to work with that guy. He's fantastic. Well, you do and you don't. You sort of hope he always makes room for you, right? I hope, he, I hope he secretly always has room for my album. And this guy, Mustafa, who mm. I, I love and who is really on the verge of now, we all know and everyone is starting to work out very quickly how special this, this human being is. He's always been like that. But he's always been like that. And he's from Toronto. Yeah. He wrote Monster with wow. me and Frank. Wow. And Daniel Caesar. Wow. Monster wouldn't have taken that turn without him in the room. Well, the minute I ever heard his music, I was like, you know how you just know that's for life? Like, I'm mm -hmm. going to be listening to that person's music forever. He's a real poet. He knows yeah. what he's doing. He's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. What's the song that you're most proud of on the record? I think that I feel most proud of Wonder. That was the first real chord progression I wrote after the intro. Yeah. And I sat with it for, for months. I wrote half the album before I, I wrote Wonder. Yeah. But I had all of the thoughts in the journal and I had this chord progression. I had the melody. That song just does it for me, man. I, lyrically, it just, it's, it's there. It's my favorite thing. I mean, I remember Scott and I sitting on the edge of a cliff in, in Carmel. We're like looking over the ocean. Oh, we didn't and, even talk about Big Sur. Yeah, we oh, got, well, yeah, yeah. A lot happened, man. <laughs> a lot's gone on. And we're sitting there and we're just thinking about it. And we are playing with these big concepts. I wonder if I'm being real. Yeah. Do I speak my truth or do I filter how I feel? Yeah. I wonder, wouldn't it be nice to live inside a world that isn't black and white? I wonder what it's like to be my friends. I hope they don't think I'll forget about them. That stuff didn't just like fly into our heads. It was like... It's what? not writing camp it's material. Not, no, it's like we're sitting there being like, what is this? What do we wonder? How do we feel? What is this reflection? Yeah, I've seen the artwork too of you in the water. Mm -hmm. Is it a candid shot or was it staged? It's staged, but it's from a candid experience. Right, where were you? I was in Miami uh -huh. uh, with Camila and a couple of friends. It was raining? I'm terrified of deep water, by the way. It's my biggest fear. Yeah, I'm not a fan either. Well, yeah. <laughs> and we got a mixed bag of wonder and we're blasting it through the thing. The skies open up, rain's pouring down. And you're out in the middle of nowhere? We jump off the boat in the middle of the ocean and we're all in the ocean. I'm looking around everyone. The rain's coming down. We're just dying. And in my head, I'm like, this is the album. This is it. So... Maybe I was in a parking lot in Los Angeles in that photo. Maybe not. I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> the question is, are you going deep sea swimming in the next six months? Probably not. We'll get there. We'll get there. Meditate I got to meditate it. for a couple more meditate years. Meditate yeah. through it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did it surprise you? It definitely surprised me. And uh, I'm really open when it comes to conversation. But I was really surprised to find Shawn Mendes in the kind of space that he was in. Thoughtful and open. The album will reflect that. It's called Wonder. Go and stream it right now on Apple Music. Dive into it. This really is the companion to that. So if you just tried Shawn out through conversation and you haven't really gone and explored his music, actually start now with Wonder and work back from there. All right, we're back again next week. We're in conversation with Miley Cyrus right here on the interview series. <laughs>